um, the, the growth is, is somehow is diminishing uh, because of zero corporate policy. So it may not really help uh, the situation at all in Hong Kong. But in the longer term, at least I can see um, the policy played by, uh, I mean, introduced by uh, uh, the new chief executive in Hong Kong, at least uh, definitely make a very bright and good start. So okay. we'll see, and I really okay. hope that uh, the Hong Kong economy will uh, rebound maybe next year. As we all do. Thank you very much, Dickie. That's Dickie Wong, Thank you. Head of Research at Kingston Securities. You also heard Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and our International Economics Correspondent in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look around the markets this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%, as is the Cosby in South Korea. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 130 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening. Do please tune in again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be back with Money Talk once again. Uh, coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong. And Brian Wong, the weather forecast. Uh, strong north to northeasterly winds, occasional gale force offshore those winds are going to strengthen uh, during the day and the showers will become more frequent as well temperatures going to linger around 21 degrees going to be windy at first tomorrow and then the rain will ease off sunny intervals in the following couple of days the strong wind signal number three is in force it's 19 degrees and it's 86 percent relative humidity and the time's 8.31. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. The observatory says the strong wind signal number three will remain in effect before noon, and it will consider issuing the number eight gale or storm signal between noon and 2 p.m. as severe tropical storm Nalgi nears Hong Kong. Here's the observatory's senior scientific officer, Chung Ping. According to the latest forecast track, Nalgay will be very close to the vicinity of the Pearl River estuary later today, skirting within around 150 kilometers to the south of the territory. Local winds will then change gradually from northerlies to easterlies. Local winds will strengthen further. Although Nalgay will weaken gradually, its degree of weakening remains uncertain. Under the influence of the outer ring bands of Nalgay, showers over the territory are expected to become more frequent. Schools across the territory are suspended today. Some bus services provided by the Kowloon Motor Bus Company, as well as some ferry routes, are also suspended. Some of the biggest names in finance are taking part in today's Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, despite the inclement weather, with the government hoping the event will send out the message that Hong Kong's status as a financial hub remains as robust as ever. The gathering is one of the initiatives aimed at promoting the SAR to the international community, with Hong Kong also holding FinTech Week and the Rugby Sevens. Stephen Phillips is the Director General of the government's investment promotion arm, Invest Hong Kong. All of these events alone are global in nature, but combining them, um, I think, will really send out this very strong message to business communities and um, wider communities across the world and amplify the message by those that have been here that Hong Kong really is well and truly open for business. The new head and owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, has suggested the site will charge $8 a month to verify users' accounts. The billionaire entrepreneur tweeted that the new plan would upend what he called the current lords and peasants system and create a new revenue stream for the site. 
He wants to make the network less reliant on advertising. Previously, Twitter would hand out the blue text to profiles it considered worthy. Britain's former health secretary, Matt Hancock, has been suspended from the governing conservatives after announcing he'll feature in a reality television elimination show filmed in Australia. Mr. Hancock resigned last year after hidden cameras revealed he broke coronavirus lockdown rules with an extramarital affair. The MP said previous instability in the government meant he'd turned down an earlier chance to appear in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning. On today's program, we're looking at how the economy affects mental health. Some NGOs recently collaborated on a survey that compiled an overall mental health index for Hong Kong. After talking to a thousand people here, they came up with a mental health index of 47 out of 100. That's down by just one point from last year, but it's five off the score of 52. That's deemed by researchers to be acceptable. The study also found the poor economy contributed to the decline. What's more, the government is now projecting the economy to have contracted 4.5% in the third quarter. So could the ailing economy cause a further decline in mental health in Hong Kong? What can be done to mitigate this? After 9.15, we'll look at the foster home care situation for children in need. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 2 now, to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined on the line by Dr. Mei Lam, the Vice President of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists, and Vera Yun, a Business and Economics Lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to the both of you, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Dr. Lam, good your, morning. Good morning. Um, you, you helped uh, uh, organize this survey. Can, can you first tell us more about the study's findings? Right, okay. Now, um, this is the 2022 mental health survey, and it has been done in the community, like, uh, this is the 11th year. Now, as what you've mentioned, Janice, I think this year we scored 47.64, which is also below the passing rate. The passing rate is 52 out of 100. As you mentioned, this is the fifth consecutive year that is below the passing rate. And we, we think this is uh, very alarming, you know, um, a signal. And also, like, um, if you look at the age distribution of the marks, we found that, like, the people who are at the middle age, from the age, like, thir- 35 to 54 years of age, and they score the lowest of, um, you know, all the scores. So, like, uh, with the older generation, there's slightly higher score and with the younger generation they got a um, you know slightly higher score and also the other funding that we found from the survey is like um compared with last year that uh when we asked the uh the people in the community like most people found that like um you know their uh, you know, the, the health condition and COVID is the most worrying, you know, um, you know, issues. But for this year, people actually found that it's about their work, their financial situation, and also their future is the most, you know, uh, worrying uh, issues that uh, they have. 
And is that why the survey found that uh, middle-aged people between uh, age 35 and 54 um, tend to have a poorer mental health? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think for that, that age group, like, they, they score the lowest compared to youngest. And on average, they only score 40, below 45, and which is the lowest of mental health score. And also, like, um, and, and, and because, like, we found that the overall, they worry most this year is about their financial situation, their job, and also the future. So we, we believe that, like, um, you know, people at this age, maybe they're at the risk of, you know, uh, losing their job, you know, because of the financial impact, and they do have a lot of worry about this. And this is because this is like the, uh, almost the third year down the track of COVID pandemic in Hong Kong. And uh, compared with last year, people worry more about their health condition, worry more about the COVID condition. And since now the condition is relatively stable, but as a result, this age of group, maybe, you know, they're not yet at the age of retirement, but yet there's still, you know, struggling about the work and finance situation. All right. Miss Yoon, what do you think of the findings? Are you surprised at all or is it uh, just expected? Well, I'm not surprised because Hong Kong people, like, have mental issues for long and we are the least, one of the least happiest people in the world. Um, and it, I think it matches the economic data that uh, we have in Hong Kong because in 2020, when we were first had by the kids by the COVID, um, the economy plummeted by uh, 6.5%, but in 2021, it actually had a rebound. So the economy grew by 6.3% in 2021. That's why last year, actually, people were okay with the economy. But this year, we are supposed to recover more, just like the rest of the world. Relatively speaking, we were less open. And then the economic forecast and numbers for the first three quarters are bad. Like the quarter three number is negative 4.5%. And then we were also negative in quarter one and quarter two, which means for the whole year of 2022, our economy is going down again after the rebound in 2021. So I think the number matches what... Uh, we just heard on uh, the report on how they worry about jobs and all these. And we also see um, stores closing, travel agencies closing, restaurants closing. There were empty uh, stores in the streets. Um, so, and then for middle age, I think it also speaks uh, the problem because if you look at uh, a wage graph uh, over age, usually people have their peak wage for men at about 40 years old, 45, and then it goes down. And for women, it's even earlier because uh, some of them did not work up to 30, 30s. So I think overall the picture, it, it matches the data that I have in mind. So, Vera, you've talked a lot about the economic factors here. I was just wondering, um, do you think there are other non-economic causes and reasons for the deterioration in mental health and well-being across the Hong Kong population? Or do you see it as a predominantly economically driven phenomenon? No, the, I think it, it comes from many issues because there have been many researches on the mental health of people during the COVID. And I think for a long time, especially the beginning, people worry about getting infected. And Hong Kong people are very wary about this compared with other countries. And we are very cautious uh, because we had this experience. 
So um, there are people who are really afraid about this and then thinking that it's very fatal, which is quite true because it had a higher death rate at the very beginning. Um, and then, however, later on, uh, I guess uh, because of the vaccination and also it has been less fatal now, so we get used to it. But then, you know, middle age um, also, they are more prone to, I, I think the older age should be the worriest, but they are not in this case. So if, if there's, and I think for suicide rate, the elderly should have the highest one. So for the middle age, uh, I guess it's, it's really about uh, the economic factors. All right. Uh, Dr. Lam, I have a comment here from our listener, Richard, and uh, on the mental health issue we're talking about, he's suggesting that the economic downturn is uh, not the only reason for the deterioration in people's mental health. He's uh, blaming the COVID restrictions that's, uh, that go uh, along with it. And uh, so, Dr. Lam, I, I guess it's a it's a combination of, a, a, of different factors, right? I mean, you, you yeah. just mentioned earlier last year, people were more concerned about uh, COVID and uh, this year they're focused on the economy. Um, yeah, what was your comment on uh, Richard's uh, comment? Yeah, well, well I think um, overall speaking, if you look at like um, the global uh, you know, research studies on pandemic, like uh, I think like, uh, you know, uh, the restrictions itself and also the impact of the COVID as what we uh, mentioned earlier, like um, when the COVID is on its highest rate, like uh, for example, in the peak of the fifth wave, and usually that would have an impact of um, the mental health. But of course, like if you look at the global figures, like across all the countries, like um, I think, like um, you know, um, the, the the effect on the mental health is actually uh, uh, quite high. Like um, you know, I think currently, if you look at like there is about um, more than thirty percent of people globally have uh, symptoms of anxiety, and depression. Uh, during like after the COVID, and also if you look at students, like um, we have 20 to 25 percent, which is like so every one in every four students or every one in every five students have like any kind of uh, mood symptoms of anxiety depression uh, in the pandemic, which is doubled before um, you know the COVID situation. So yeah, I think like um, you know other risk factors, including causing mental health issues in COVID global figures, including. Uh, restrictions, uh, the impact of uh, COVID, and also isolation, how well you're connected with other people. The fact that you have contacted COVID, you know, all these, uh, you know, uh, known risk factors of, uh, you know, that affect the mental health. So I suppose an additional dimension may, and I'm just wondering mm -hmm. if you, you don't agree with this, is essentially the ongoing stigma and general prohibition against discussions concerning mental health issues, where in Hong Kong, you know, speaking about and to talk about one's struggles with mental health is, is seen to be a sign of weakness, a sign of even sort yeah. of uh, unemployability. And this is a stigma that's really unhealthy. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, well, I, I think generally speaking, like uh, in Hong Kong, like uh, before, people are not as aware of mental health issues. And for some people in particular, like it's a stigma issue. But then I think um, one of the interesting aspects, uh, I think, that we did in the survey, when we ask people like um, this year, who you will turn to if you have mental health issues, like um, we actually got a quite high mark. A lot of people uh, will mention about like uh, asking for professional help. And they actually mentioned that they will seek help from counselor and social worker, you know, uh, which is 
you know, slightly better than before. But I think, um, yeah, I think you're correct that overall speaking, I think people like, um, you know, still in, you know, are very concerned about, uh, you know, uh, the stigma associated with mental health. Now, this year we have more than like almost, um, uh, well, almost, 50% of people, 47.3% of people, like, um, actually said that if they have issues, they will go to turn to professional. Majority of people, uh, you know, talked about asking social worker and counselor, and also, like, um, you know, 20% of people who ask for, uh, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists for help. That's certainly a very reassuring sign. I was just wondering, Vera, um, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, you see problems such as, of course, the downward trajectory of the economy, but also the pandemic controls at large posing a concern. When it comes to the youth in particular, now, obviously, a survey doesn't show the youth to be the most affected group. But, Vera, what do you make of the current state of mental health amongst Hong Kong's youth, especially teenagers? Right, okay, now this is a very interesting, thank you Brian for raising that up. Now, of course, like earlier on I mentioned about the age distribution, a U-shape. So the one in the middle age from 30 to before retirement, like 54, they've got the worst like um, mental health index, so which has an indication about the economy and uh, the job and etc. Now, if you look at the younger group, they're slightly better compared with the middle age. But then, like, um, you know, one of the, the angles to look into this would be because I think the younger generation, like, like um, you know, the 20s or below, um, the impact on the mental health were the great, like, uh, were, were the biggest. Maybe one or two years ago when there was uh, um, the social event in Hong Kong, like, um, you know, that was the biggest impact because that affected the young age. So I think compared with that, this year is relatively better but it doesn't mean that it's good because the figure is still low. Like, um, you know, they still score 50 or, or, you know, just around the passing mark. So um, still a concern, but uh, like I uh, compare with the middle age group and, uh, it, you know, it's slightly less a concern. But overall, if you look at the global um, mental health issues, I think the student's mental well-being is still, you know, one of the biggest concerns uh, globally. Thank you, May. And Vera? Yes. Yes. Do Do you agree with May's diagnosis concerning the youth and the the, the issues confronting them with respect to uh, stresses um, as highlighted just then for the causes suggested? Uh, I agree with that because they're more um, affected by the social movement and, and politics, and also worry about prospects about Hong Kong because they are the one who can make the choice to you know, leave Hong Kong or to stay in Hong Kong or to think about what they can do here and where middle age they, uh, they they also have this concern but they are less prone to leave according to statistics if they're over 40 years old. Um, and then I think it has made the environment to be less interactive, less social interactions during the school years and uh, we're kind of afraid that the youth, the students, um, they would have less practice on this. And when they come out to the employment market, what, what would they be? How would they affect um, their skills and also um, what they think? Because it, it's on in their formation years. So I think it's yet to be seen. And I have uh, two points that I want to add. The first is if we look at the stringency index of Hong Kong COVID inspection, we were actually more lenient than last year. Last year, we stood at about 70, 
and then this year it's now it's about 50. So we are less stringent in the COVID restrictions, but then people are less happy about this. So I think that's one of the interesting things that uh, we can see. And the second thing is, I think the timeline of when we're being hit by the COVID is different from the rest of the world. We were hit the heaviest uh, during the first half of this year, the fifth wave, while the rest of the world had it earlier. So maybe that's the case because the first half of the year, it created a lot of chaos and we have seen, you know, scenes of people laying outside of hospitals, you know, and then friends and everybody getting infected. And that could also arise, you know, the worries and anxieties among the people this year when compared with last year. And I guess one further dimension there is uh, the availability of comparisons, because when everything was locked down across the world last year, it didn't seem so odd that we had to, to put on a mask and socially distance and also scan lots of codes when we went out. But now that you know, basically everywhere, well, most countries and regions around the world have effectively all but reopened, it's, it's unclear why Hong Kong can't do the same. And perhaps restrictions there are also engendering a large amount of pent-up frustration. Uh, and oh, of course, you always have virtual and online school, uh, something that causes distancing and a sense of psychological alienation amongst the youth as well. So, uh, Vera, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. It's relative. It's more like expectation and then what what you get um, at the end. So last year we had pretty stringent restrictions, but I mean the first, second, third, or even fourth way they 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 are not really serious when compared with what we had in the first half of the year. So, um, but we are now we have more uh, opportunities to interact. We can go to restaurants and bars till late, and then people can travel out. So it's already better. But I think different um, classes are hit uh, different and differently. Like people in the lower class, they they could have problems finding jobs and sustaining economically. I, I think that's also the reason. And then also we are losing the autonomy to. Um, only COVID restriction, and and that's pretty clear and true. So I think in overall, I think the political situation, in addition to the COVID uh, situation, would explain uh, the whole picture. Right. And Dr. Lam, I just want to go back to your study earlier when, when you talk about how the economic downturn is having an impact on people's mental health. Um, what kind of symptoms or illnesses are you talking about? Is it a depression and anxiety or, or is there more? Right. OK. Now, I, I think in the survey, we also, we, we've also looked into the signs and symptoms of anxiety. We actually found that like uh, about 15 percent, one five percent of people have uh, you know, symptoms of anxiety and depression. So, yeah, and those, those are the symptoms that we looked, um, yeah, looked at. And, and does this usually mean they are um, absent, ab- absent from work quite often? Uh, what, what sort of impact does it have on, on the job or, or are they, I mean, employed? Right, okay. Now, we, we didn't look specifically about the absentees, like uh, the absences from work in our survey, but uh, yeah, but uh, we, we actually, when we asked them what actually is the biggest worry, as what I mentioned before, I think this year people worry about, you know, the loss of jobs 
and uh, you know the future and also the financial situation and uh, and also because the survey was conducted in um, in in summer this year in August so uh, and that Hong Kong we have gone through the most difficult part which is you know in March this year maybe people were relatively less worried about you know, um, the, the, the COVID, the health condition. But then when we are back to this new norm, then people, you know, back to reality, they worry about, you know, losing a job and so forth, in particular in the age group where, you know, you're vulnerable, you're not yet at the age of retirement yet. If you, you have any job insecurity issue, it's very difficult for you to perhaps get another job, I guess. Right. Miss Yoon, do you have an idea of uh, what sort of impact, uh, for example, if uh, um, mental health issues uh, in the workforce can uh, can have on the economy? Well, that will increase the health costs and also lower the productivity of people. But I think it's pretty common for people to have mental issues nowadays because Hong Kong is a high-pressure city and unlike other places. That's why some people prefer to live um, in another country so that they can work fewer hours. So Hong Kong has been very competitive and also it's uh, free market capitalism. So I think we are used to this kind of environment and there's naturally more mental issues of us. But um, there are professional services that companies can subscribe to it's just about um, whether there, you know, enough stigma to prevent people from going to. And I think employees could be afraid that their employer figured it out because I knew someone, you know, a professor, you know, who got this issue, and then she told the school, and then she, I, and then she lost her job as warden or something like this. Although she can keep her job as a professor. So there, there are many of such things that people were afraid to let their employers know. But if this is so common, some good employers will subscribe to this service so that um, you know employees can find help uh, confidentially without letting the employers know that that will be better for you know both of them. There's a lot of talk about attracting and retaining talent, especially if you look at the recent policy address. Um, to what extent, Vera, do you think that the mental health situation in Hong Kong would contribute towards Hong Kong's ability or inability to attract talents to come over to this, this wonderful city? Um, I think Hong Kong has spent itself to be one of the most competitive things. And then people who like to work hard, people who want to make money, would all come to Hong Kong. But people who cannot sustain the stress, they, they would not. So, you know, naturally, people select themselves to come. But Hong Kong people who are, like, who grew, who grew up here, they, they don't get to choose. And I know that some, you know, young people, they may start off at a lowly job and then they find that they couldn't, proceed up and they receive a lot of pressure from parents thinking that you know they are not doing well they are not socially mobile and you're not like other peers but you know compare like for example UK you study UK I study UK and I know they're much more egalitarian so nobody really looks down on you if you get a job that does not pay a lot but it's, it's very you know relaxing pretty laid back and you can have your personal time doing your own thing so, so I, I rather just prefer staying in the UK because of this environment instead of in Hong Kong because uh, there's the, you know, pressure from your relatives and also there's also pressure that you, you have to do well in your career. 
and that and then but not many people have the privilege to move to a place that they want to they are not exposed to that they are not used to that they don't know that they could do that and therefore you know they're very fundamentally and another another issue is i think it's the housing arrangement because we have like very little personal space in Hong Kong, you know, a, a family of four being crammed into a unit of, you know, 300 square feet. And that leads to a lot of mental issues. Um, I mean, between couples and then between parents and children, that you don't, if you don't have enough personal space, like, you know, you have a lot of problems like that. that that's, that's very true too. Thank you. And May, would you agree with Vera's diagnosis? Right, okay, now, I, uh, well, def definitely, yeah, I think Hong Kong attracts people, it's a highly competitive place. I think, like, it, it attracts people, or there's a selective bias for those who like, you know, working in a highly competitive environment, they choose to come to Hong Kong. And I guess also, you know, it depends on your stage and your age of life, like, as to what you want to, you know, you know make from Hong Kong. And generally speaking, there is this, um, you know, pressure to you know um, to 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 be successful in Hong Kong and uh, and yeah so so I guess like Hong Kong attracts those um, you know who, who like working in such an environment and plus like of course like Hong Kong the cost of living generally you know uh, high in terms of you know uh, housing and also you know other other issues but uh, generally speaking I think in Hong Kong, like, uh, you know, you also get opportunities. So it really depends on your age and also your character, whether or not you want to get the opportunity and take the risk. All right, Dr. Lam and Ms. Yoon will have to take a short break for the news, but we can continue our discussion afterwards. And uh, later on in the program, after 9.15, we'll look at a survey on the foster home care situation for children in need. If you're tuning in and you have any comments or questions for our guests this morning, remember you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RCHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rchk.hk, or give us a call at 233-88266. Now, here's the weather, the strong wind Signal number three is currently in effect. Today is going to be cloudy with occasional squally showers. Showers will become more frequent later. And uh, right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 19 degrees. Relative humidity, 86%. Back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Brian Wong and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're looking at how the economy affects mental health. And still with us on the program is Dr. May Lam, the Vice President of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists, and Vera Yoon, a Business and Economics Lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. Now, in the first part of the program, we talked about the impact of the economy on mental health. Dr. Lam, let's talk a bit about uh, what you think the government can do to help improve the situation. Uh, what's your suggestion? Right, okay. Now, I, I guess um, there are a number of things that we found from this um, survey that we did for this year. Now, because we're still below the passing rate, and I think that is an alarm, and I think uh, with the age distribution, maybe perhaps the policymaker, they should think about, you know, um, you know the various, um, you know, uh, things that they can address to the mental health issues, uh, you know, of uh, different age groups. 
And I think, like, from these local figures and also from global figures, we know that, like, uh, the mental health impact is uh, one of the biggest concerns, you know, after the post-pandemic. Now, as the pandemic situation is getting more stable, like, um, you know, over the past few months, and I guess this is about time to look into, you know, the aftermath, like, um, economy downturn and things, which will affect um, people in all age groups, in particular the one with middle age group. And uh, I think continues like to increase the public awareness about uh, mental health issues as what you know we mentioned earlier, you know, um, so that people are more aware of the mental health issues and uh, and so that they can go and seek help early if um, you know if they have uh, problems. And what about the uh, chief executive John Lee's uh, policy address? I mean, were there measures that uh, that you believe uh, can help with the uh, mental health uh, issues you've been talking about? Well, um, I guess like um, the the mental health. Uh, I think like uh, maybe you know increase uh, more the public uh, awareness in uh, mental health, and also like um, if you look at the mental health in general, I think for uh, minor issues, then you know to make people more aware of seeking help from you know the counselor and also like from uh, you know uh, from the counselor. But then I think if you look at the um, specialty, like um, you know psychiatrists, I think still like all the other specialty in Hong Kong, um, there's still a long waiting time to be seen by psychiatrists in particular. Like if we look at the youth, you know, um, like, uh, you know, psychiatrists, then I think maybe, you know, um, the government can look into, you know, more like um, how to collaborate with the community to address um, the long waiting time issues um, for those who have, um, you know, who need to have a specialist, specialist care. You mentioned the youth in particular just then, um, May. Could you clarify perhaps what is unique and distinctive about mental health provision uh, or mental health service provision for the youth that that differentiates it from, uh, say, the adults and also the rest of the population and what's lacking in that area in status quo? Right, okay. Now, if you look at mental well-being or mental health issues globally, we all know that, like, there is enough uh, research and figures to show that, like, um, the mental health uh, is, is an issue, like, in particular after uh, the impact of pandemic. Now, I think in particular in Hong Kong, because, like, before the pandemic, we have the social movement in 2019. Now, if, uh, of course, with people with mental health issues, you know, they should go and seek help from, you know, counsellors first, like from what we call step care, like from counsellor, from social worker, from psychologists, okay? But for those people who need, you know, more expertise, more professional help, then they go to see specialists, like, um, you know, psychiatrists. Now, if you look at the public service, there, uh, there is a long waiting time for, um, you know, um, to be seen by psychiatrists. In particular, the child and adolescent psychiatrists, the waiting time is, you know, even longer than the adult psychiatrists. Now, I guess uh, for those people who can afford to be seen by, um, you know, the public, um, uh, to be seen by private um, specialists in Hong Kong, and, and those fine. But for those people who cannot afford, you know, to um, to a thousand dollars or few thousand dollars per month, then they have to wait for a long time because of the long waiting time uh, for child adolescent psychiatrists, meaning that for those under the age of 18. And I think, like, these are the areas that, you know, hopefully we can help to do, you know, um, we can think of how to address the needs of uh, these people, you know, who cannot afford, you know, themselves to, to, um, to pay for a service while, you know, or, or they have to wait for a long time, 
you know, to be seen uh, by the uh, child nurses and psychiatric services. Thank you very much for that. And Vera, would you agree with um, May's prescription just then uh, with regards to the youth? Okay, first, I think when you said um, uh, what the government could do to address this, I would say uh, government could be the source of mental health issues. So government should stop being the source, try to slow down some reforms. For example, you know, teachers, they worry about what, what they're going to do next day that, you know, the syllabus change again, they cannot adopt and, you know, they don't know what would happen, so maybe just slow it down, don't do it so quickly. And for mental health issue, I think both of the youth issue come from um, 2019. And I see a problem that some of the workers, I know, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, I talked to them, they said there are more of these cases and there are problems of communication between parents and stuff. But uh, there were groups of so-called experienced, uh, these kind of mental health workers, they were very conservative and supposedly professionally, they should serve the clients as good as serving the other clients. But because of their conservative political will, I mean, they fail to be like professional in their services. And I think that that is an issue in the mental health industry that should be addressed. So there would be a list of people who could who are better at dealing with youth that have these problems instead of the normal, you know, mental health workers and they have to distinguish between them or else, um, you know, trust could not be built and, you know, the service would not be effective. So and is... also, yeah, I think, I think she's right that um, for youth, the parents have to recognize that they have problems so that the parents can bring them there. The youth themselves do not have the autonomy. So it's the education of parents rather than the youth uh, that should be done too. And uh, Ms. Yoon, do you know what uh, other governments have been doing in other places to help tackle mental health issues in the workforce? How, how big a problem will it be if the issue of mental health is not addressed? In the workforce, uh, they, I think in terms of psychology, they have one occupational psychologist. That is not that established in Hong Kong, but it's more established in places such as in the U.S that they would address um, issues that are faced by employees, you know, the work stress, um, how they interact with supervisor, um, uh, job, uh, you know, sexual harassment in job environment. So, so they are trained in that area to help with workers and also the human resources. They would subscribe to services to give them, you know, mental health training, mental health workshop, how to deal with stress during work. So, so if you're in a big corporation, then the human resources would uh, hold this kind of activities for the workers and then, you know, yoga class, that kind of thing. So it depends on the size of your company. Uh, if you work in a small and medium-sized company, then you probably don't have these kind of things. Right. And uh, Dr. Lam, um, your, your study, your, your fi the findings uh, come as uh, the government is uh, projecting the economy to have contracted 4.5% in the third quarter. Um, do you expect this problem to, to worsen? I mean, this problem of mental health in the workforce? I think definitely, like because of the economic downturn, and also I think from the survey that we did in summer already, there is an indication 
of uh, you know uh, the the concerns and worries of people, you know, in particular the middle age, like those before retirement. But yet we know that like uh, with the economy downturn and we'll you know I, I mean the job security issues and so forth will will be making a big impact on on people in general, in particular those in the middle age group. Right, and Ms. Yoon, if that is the case, if is uh, if uh, Dr. Lam is correct, uh, how much would this cost Hong Kong? You mean more mental health service? Yes, mental health service or the uh, economy. You know, medical cost is something like you can always top up and always increase and say that it's not enough. So it's very hard to say because you always want better quality services. And then if you provide it in a subsidized price, there's always a queue, just like the public hospital, just like the public housing. So it's hard to it hard to say, you know, you, you can use so much resources into it and there's not enough. There's been a lot of emphasis upon services and improving their provision uh, in the discussion so far. But, you know, going back to the point you raised earlier, Vera, you talked about the need for a, a mindset shift and also a broader uh, awakening, you know, amongst parents, amongst families, and just general alertness to the problems that exist amongst children. Uh, now, Vera, do you think promoting awareness or efforts at promoting awareness in the status quo are working? Um, or do you think there are limits to current initiatives designed to tackle mental health issues in the city? And if so, what are these issues? Um, I don't quite understand. So what are the limits or the issues with existing programs or initiatives designed to promote understanding and awareness of mental health? Um, I guess in, in the Chinese society, it's still a stigma. It's harder to, to get help and you don't want to refuse that you have that issue until it gets really, really bad. So people tend to find private services if they're in, in that uh, problem. Um, and in the whole health system in Hong Kong, they are pretty centralized. They don't um, encourage much, uh, you know, neighborhood support and, and all these things. So they use a pathological model and then do it top down and then you know, these are the services, they subsidize, you can go and queue and see what you get, that, that kind of thing. But I think it's the whole, um, the weight of supplying this kind of services, the support from the community, you know, social capital, all these things. So they can have, uh, I think some uh, organizations, they have uh, these kind of services targeted to a specific group of people. And we could have more of these and also they could, promote themselves more, they should have more resources because they could already deal with many minor issues at the bottom. And then, so they don't have to always go to, you know, side time and have, have to kill like two years. I think that would help uh, relieve the burden of many. All right, Ms. Yoon, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Vera Yoon, a business and economics lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, many thanks also to Dr. May Lam, the vice president of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say.
It's now 15 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today and it's about foster home care services in Hong Kong for children in need. The Hong Kong Christian Service says there are currently not enough foster homes and its latest survey shows that the situation will worsen further in three years' time. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Carrie Kong, the group's chief supervisor for foster care service. And, uh, in a, in a, hi, good morning. And we'll also be joined by Dr. Eunice Ho, a clinical psychologist for foster care service. And uh, good morning, Ms. Kong. Let's go to you first. Um, can you first tell us about the main findings uh, of your survey? Oh, okay. Uh, we have find out uh, five major challenges we are facing in our study. Uh, the first one is a severe shortage of foster family. Um, there is uh, around 300 foster children uh, who are waiting for uh, entering the foster family. They need to go out of home care. And however, there is only around uh, 30 foster family for them to matching. So there is only one-tenth of the children. The number of foster family is in a very serious shortage. Secondly, um, we are expecting to lose close to 20% foster family over the next few years. According to the data we received uh, from our survey, uh, there are three main reasons we can see. The first one is their health issue because they are um, quite, uh, they are going to aging, aging stage. And the second reason uh, is the ma- major life change in their life. For example, uh, the foster parents need to take care of their own uh, spouse uh, or their own uh, parents. In, in their family. The third reason they, they, they don't want to, they can't stay is because of the lack of uh, recognition in the society. And the third challenge uh, we can see is the aging, as I, I mentioned before, aging of the foster parent. There are more than 40% of our respondents is over 60 years old. 60 years old, around 45% of them have been serving for 10, for more than 10 years. So they think they have to uh, take the time for retirement. Um, I think, and then the, the next one is, they think the support and the allowance is not insufficient. Is insufficient. And the last one is we, we face the difficulty in recruitment um, because of the huge responsibility for taking care of the children because of the insufficient foster care allowance and because of the public concern and the lack of public concern and recognition. And that's the summary of our, our finding. Right. Uh, let's, uh, let's go back to, to uh, Dr. Ho first. Good morning, Dr. Ho. Um, okay, we've just heard about the difficulties in uh, recruiting foster families. Um, can you give us a bit of background first? Can you tell us about the situation of uh, some of the children who require foster care homes? Yeah, actually, most of the foster child, they were placed in our service, um, those children who meet need in the families, because um, possibly um, they, their families are facing different difficulties. Um, 
like severe uh, psychiatric condition or their parents are imprisoned or they are being abused in the childhood. So um, this child needs to be protected um, in a residential service. So therefore this child is uh, sent to our service. Right. So, so how important would you say a foster home is for, 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 these, uh, for, for children's development? Um, I guess um, according to the family background that I mentioned before, um, we can say that um, it is not safe for them to um, live or to stay with their families. Um, so it is important for some childhood residential services. And so actually the foster care is different from other um, child residential services because in foster home we provide one-to-one um one-to-one bonding, like uh, this is in a family environment, unlike other uh, grouped homes or other institutionalized um, environment. And therefore, uh, actually, a lot of um, psychological research mentioned that uh, early attachment is very important, especially for young children, um, because we know that for one-to-one care, the children not only uh, have their basic need be met, and also um, to take care of the psychological need. They know that they are being careful, they know that they are being loved, and it is very important for children to build a positive self-image and learning how to relate with others, and it is great for them to develop um, uh, in a positive way and let them to fit in the community. Right, okay. And Ms. Kong, earlier you talked about how it's uh, difficult to recruit uh, new foster families. Um, why is it so difficult to recruit new ones? Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, we do a lot of uh, promotion program for these years, and we still uh, thinking uh, there is uh, maybe 900 shortage of the foster family, because I think in Hong Kong, the, the land limited land is limited is the huge problem in hong kong uh, before we we could affirm foster family and when their daughter or son uh, getting older and they move out and we can uh, take care of the foster children or one more foster children but nowadays because of the the expensive uh uh cost they need to stay at home even when the adult are getting married. So uh, this has limited them to serve the, in the foster care service. And the result we receive is uh, many people mention there, there is a very huge responsibility for taking care of the children, especially taking care of others' children. Um, they think... Um, I better go to work in the market because I can get a, a day off, I can get the um, employee insurance in the market. But for the foster parent, they, what they only get is uh, several, several uh, thousands of the incentive. I think uh, the, the incentive for them is not very attractive. I know they are they, they are work as a volunteer, but we think a volunteer also need to be respected. Um, because they, they work, they take care of the children in terms of uh, free 
uh, the whole year, year round, and they don't have one day off at all. So we think um, they are willing to take care of, serve the children. But there is a lack of uh, public concern and recognition for them. For example, one of our foster family uh, shared that they, uh, she bring uh, the foster children who uh, was suffer from uh, ADHD and then the, the attention differences. And then uh, they go to the restaurant. The people uh, look at her and, and question how you teach your, how you educate your kid who is screaming in the restaurant. And the foster parent have very deep set in her heart because because of the confidentiality. So you can't tell anyone uh, the kid is foster child children have uh, AD, suffer from ADHD. But the foster parent is always suffer from um, the bad attitude of the of the uh, people in the society. So, uh, and, and hence their awareness, the existing of foster care service is very important, I think. Right. And earlier, Ms. Kong, you mentioned, uh, you talked about incentive payment. Are you talking about the incentive payment uh, that yeah. foster families get, which is like around, uh, what, $4,898 right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. And then they, they also get a, a monthly maintenance grant of, uh, what, $6,530. And sure. according to your survey, this is just uh, not enough for them? Yeah. According to the survey, uh, survey um, the maintenance grant for the children, most of all think this is enough for for the children, uh, the food, the cold, uh, something like that, transportation. But uh, what they mentioned, not enough is the, uh, the, the cost for their extracurriculum fee or the tutorial fee. Uh, because our we are serving for more than 200 children, unfortunately, 40% of them have suffered SEN, special education uh, need or a special caring need. Uh, for example, the, the young, younger children, they always suffer from developmental delay, speech delay, and for them, if extra, extra uh, curriculum activities or extra even the, the training or therapy provided for them is the best for them um, to, to enhance their ability. But the cost is very high in, in our society. Uh, so that what the foster parent mentioned is uh, they are insufficient for the training course. So it does seem that it's rather difficult to foster an atmosphere where foster care is supported and widely accepted by society. Besides the government, um, just wondering, would you say, uh, Carrie, that there's any need for the civil society and the private sector to act? And what exactly can private citizens do to help you guys out and to, to really help ease the pressures on the foster care sector at large? Okay, we do have some recommendation for the government because uh, the government and the uh, NGO also want to promote the, the um, foster care service hand in hand. So we have a specifically uh, 
few points to mention. Uh, may I allow uh, uh, Ms. Ho to, to speak for us? Sure, Ms. Sure. Dr. Ho? Sure. Um, for the recommendations, uh, we have three main recommendations. First one, uh, we urge the government to improve supporting measures and facilities, um, including uh, a foster care hub. We think that a foster care hub uh, could provide some occasional foster child care service and to reduce the pressure of caring for the foster children alone. As Ms. Kong just said, a lot of our foster parents work 24-7 and it is, yeah, we can all know that it is exhausted. So uh, they all need some time so to, to take a rest or need some support. So maybe a foster care hub can help with that. And also we urge the government to establish a network for uh, building some relief family network for the foster family. So um, some parents can provide occasional care for the children to, um, when the foster parents is not available. The second recommendation could be to increase the foster care allowance. As Ms. Kong just mentioned, um, actually the allowance may not be enough to provide uh, extracurriculum activities like for attending tutorial class or some therapeutic training. So it would be great if uh, the allowance could cover that and also to formulate a clear and transparent inflation link mechanism to review the allowance. Um, we suggest that the incentive payments of foster parents could be increased to around $25 per hour, which is on par with the volunteer child care in the community. And the last one, uh, we urge the government and to work with the private sector, like to launch some um, activities or some scheme, like foster care friendly card, that may um, give some discount for our foster parents. It's not only um, to give some discount for our foster parents to recognize their efforts, but also to make the society know more about the need of the foster children and draw more public attention. We guess that it will be a lot easier if the society know the need of the foster children and they will be more willing to join and be a foster home. All right, uh, Dr. Ho, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Eunice, Eunice Ho, a clinical psychologist from the Hong Kong Christian Service. And also many thanks to uh, Ms. Kong. She's uh, Carrie Kong, the uh, Chief Supervisor for Foster Care at uh, the Hong Kong Christian Service. Many thanks also to you who commented today and, of course, to our guest presenter, Brian Wong and producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. It'll be fine and dry. The top temperature will be around uh, 29, 21 degrees. And uh, uh, the and once again, the typhoon signal number three is uh, in force. And right now it's 20 degrees, relative humidity, 89%. Monkeypox symptoms include fever, swollen lymph nodes, mouth lesions and rashes, and will usually resolve in two or three weeks. To prevent monkeypox infection, refrain from close contact with those suspected of being infected. Avoid contact with infected animals or contaminated items when visiting affected places. If contact is required, wear protective gear and wash hands. Those at higher risk may receive the vaccine. If symptoms start, see a doctor promptly. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. It's 9.30, the news with Tom Warden. The chief executive, John Lee, says Hong Kong is unique and irreplaceable for doing business as the city